1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hi, my name is Nathan Hobson, and I'm a host for the New Books in East Asian Studies podcast, a member of the New Books Network. Today I'll be talking with Dr. Veronica Mack about her book, Milk Craze Body, Science, and Hope in China, which is out from the University of Hawaii Press in 2021. Milk mixes historical and ethnographic research on milk to understand the morality politics of class, labor, and identity in modern Hong Kong and the Shinde area of Guangdong. Beginning with the historical milkscapes of ancient China, Mack's book explores the influence of British colonization on dairy culture in Hong Kong, the role of governments and corporations in making China one of the world's largest producers and consumers of cow's milk, and the medicalization and moralization of practices and identities around milk, breast milk, and infant formula in contemporary Hong Kong. In doing so, Milk Race examines topics including the demolition of indigenous cheesemaking in Shunde the development of Hong Kong silk stocking milk tea, and the pressures created by society and pharmaceutical firms on working mothers to choose infant formula over breastfeeding. Okay, Dr. Meck, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, so I'd like to ask you um, how you became interested in the research project that became uh, your book, milk craze. And, and I understand it has something to do with the um, ethnographic research that you were doing in Hong Kong and in the uh, in an area of Guangdong, south of Guangzhou, the Shunde area. So I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about those uh, two cities, uh, how you ended up working there and how that became the project that we're going to be talking about today.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Leighton, for inviting me for this very meaningful podcast. Uh, please call me Veronica. Uh, regarding how I come to this project, I think I, we need to go back to 14 years ago, that uh, in 2008, that I started to plan my PhD thesis. Uh, a lot of things happened between 2008 to 2012. For example, 2008, there is the um, uh, melanin, Uh, contaminated milk, former milk in China, that costs 54,000 Babies died uh, because of the kidney stones. Um, and also during that time in 2000, because of that, there's a huge surge in demand of a formula milk in Hong Kong. In 2010, there are many shops uh, out of stock in Hong Kong, similar to the situation in USA recently, that the mothers cry out for help in getting the formula milk. Um, I just, It's struck my uh, attention to this because... Uh, uh, I still remember in 1980s that uh, anthropologist um, Harris Martin, he mentioned that Chinese people are phobia, that Chinese people don't drink milk because they are very afraid of milk and they think that this is a very ugly quick some sort of this kind of comments. And then we were just within um, 30 years that China become the second largest milk market in the world. Uh, Not only that, China also become the top five supplier of milk in the world. Um, And in addition to that, um, there is also a country phenomenon that is, I I received the news about the disappearing of the indigenous uh, Chinese cheese in Sundar, in Xinbang village that uh, draw my childhood memory because I used to eat the cheese produced from Daliang when I was a child, and I was quite surprised that, okay, people nowadays don't eat this kind of indigenous Chinese cheese anymore, and also usually people don't know that Chinese have indigenous cheese, and they, but nowadays people don't care that it's a disappearance. Until recently, the Shendeh government put it in under the umbrella of intangible cultural heritage, but because of boom, so as to boom tourism. But other than that, the local people in the young generation in, are not that much interested in the indigenous Chinese cheese. So I see that this is a contradictory trend of the growth of Western formula milk, or the Western cow's milk. But on the other hand, that is a diminishing or disappearing indigenous milk culture in China. Um, so I choose Sundar as a place to study in China. And what about Hong Kong? So Hong Kong also is a special place, although it is two hour drive from Sundar. However, we, we also have um, a small buffalo used in a rice field. However, we don't have this kind of culture in producing this kind of special Chinese cheese in Hong Kong and people, because Hong Kong used to be a fish village and people are not that sophisticated in in producing and also appreciating cheese. And... At the same time, Hong Kong also have a very special history. It's the colonial history starting in 1860s, and this is the first time that with the uh, with the colonists, British colonists come into Hong Kong. They have the military force, they have the missionaries, and also they import cows from Britain, Britain, and also Australia, and also including the milkmaid. So this is also that's why Hong Kong. I believe is the earliest place in China that have uh, that built up a local dairy farm. And starting from that, okay, it changed the history of the dietary culture of the people in Hong Kong. They have uh, they have at least the rich people have chance to it's locally produced western cow's milk, okay, and also all kinds of western cuisine, etc. So that's why I want to look into the, um, the dietary pattern, uh, history, behavior, and also the health belief regarding milk and, and also milk-related products, including the and cheese, and how this can tell us about globalization, capitalism, uh, local cuisine, uh, the indigenous culture, and also modernity.
1: Yes. Yeah. So thank you. That, that set us up really nicely um, to jump into the book. And I, and I guess I wanted to say before we started that one of the uh, reasons I was um, really interested in talking to you about the book uh, is one that uh, sort of became an issue after uh, we first contacted each other about doing the interview, which is the sudden uh, formula crisis in the United States, right? And I think this is something that you know it, it's it's one of those t- um, things that reminds you that these. Some of the issues that you're uh, talking about in the book uh, about supply and demand and about the moral choices that people are making, uh, in addition to all the sort of interesting historical data that's in here are are very um, relevant today. And I hope we'll get a chance to talk about some of that as well. Um, And I want to do this uh, to, to get to that. Uh, starting with uh, chapter one, which is milk, body, and social class in ancient China. So here again, uh, you're giving us a little bit of this historical background. Uh, again, and as you say, I think it's uh, there's a lot that, um, you know, as you point out, is somewhat surprising in the same way that the idea that China is the number five, I think you said, milk supplier in the world is probably quite surprising to people. Uh, this chapter is the first of three on the history of the production and consumption of um, modern industrialized cow milk in Hong Kong and uh, China. Um, And you're showing that the history of animal milks is a lot longer and more complicated than is widely believed in China. Uh, So what are the important things that we need to know about the historical uh, milkscapes, as you put it, these uh, landscapes of uh, production, consumption, and the cultural associations um, in order to understand the rest of the book, um, the modern changes uh, that you're talking about brought about by the British, the communists, um, and then post war American food aid, et cetera.
0: Okay. I think the key point i want to um raise is that um milk used to to be used as a kind of medicine medical food you can say it in asian china so um i think uh for the uh, chinese used usually people don't know that chinese have a very long milk culture and um but you uh, in chinese society according to the chinese medical principle we do not separate food and medicine So we eat food to heal our body in addition to just maintain our life. So food and medicine are very closely correlated. And also, one also important point is that there is no perfect food according to our principle because different people have different body and different health propensity, we'll say. We call it hot and cold. So for those those people, okay, for example, milk is a perfect natural food, right, in Western culture. So, however, from the Chinese traditional medical perspective, okay, milk is good in general speaking, but different kind of mammals' milk are suitable for different bodies. For example, now we used to have cow's milk, right, most popular milk, the globalized milk is cow's milk. Cow's milk, according to the Chinese medical principle, is good, but it is Cold, so it is good for the baby because baby is used to be have a hot, very hot body. However, for the elderly or those who have a weak body, if you drink cow's milk, it's a too cold for the person. So either you need, you need to warm it up, or you eat other kind. You drink other kind of milk, such as goat's milk, because goat's milk is a little bit warmer than cow's milk. However, the best substitutes of breast milk for the babe, uh, for the uh, for the babies, is not cow's milk. So according to Asian Chinese test, uh, that would be the pig's milk. So you can just a few examples to show that. First of all, okay, it is not a uh, uh, a kind of. Uh, it's not natural to have cow's milk as a universal, natural, perfect food, okay, according to the Chinese principle. Uh, Chinese uh, culture have a long history and also are more open, okay, to different kinds of mammals' milk to different bodies. So I think the, um, the key thing is that milk is not for everyday drink. So it is usually when the people got sick uh, or, okay, when they are like the babies are impossible to get mother's milk, so for a short period of time, we can take the mammal's milk. So other than that, okay, uh, Chinese people used not to take milk as a daily drink. So that is a big contrary to what people are practicing nowadays, is that now governments are promoting, right, to have at least a glass of milk to maintain our health uh, for different age group, okay, every day, in order to get enough calcium, protein, etc. Okay, so I think this is what I want to emphasize.
1: Yeah, thank you. Um, And that's, uh, again, it's really helpful to get us to uh, what you do in the second chapter, uh, Dairy Farm, British Milk Tea, and Soy Milk in Milk Bottles, which is thinking about um, the cultural politics of food consumption, of dietary health, and of social change in Hong Kong um, after 1841. Uh, So as you've said, you know, unlike... The mainland Hong Kong had no indigenous culture of uh, cow's milk production. So one of your central questions um, is sort of what happens to milk uh, under British colonial rule. Um, so the colonists are obviously sort of eager to develop and maintain stable dairy supplies for their own uh, consumption, um, for their own health uh, and enjoyment. Um, but part of the picture that you talk about here is the industrialization of soy milk production, which I thought was quite interesting, uh, and the development of a distinctly Hong Kong uh, tradition of the the silk stocking milk tea, which uh, uh, I did enjoy when I was in Hong Kong, Uh, and the contestation over not just milk, but over the sort of proper moral character of, of what modern Hong Kong should be and what modern Hong Kongers should be. So if I'm understanding your argument correctly here, you're saying that sort of milk and nutrition science uh, Western production and colonial hierarchies are together instrumental in sort of creating new moralities of, of food and of class and of identity in Hong Kong um, under British control.
0: Um, yes, I think uh, this is a big topic. Yeah, I think we, I need to break down this into different layers in order to answer the questions. Um, uh, yeah, definitely that uh, the colonial history create a new mewscape. Uh, for Hong Kong. Uh, first of all, uh, after the Hong Kong become British colonies, the first dairy farm was established by Patrick Benson. He was um, a Scottish surgery, uh that he is very famous for being a um a scientist to study uh, tropical disease. So, um he uh, and what he and but at the same time he is a very successful and smart business Person, so he he built dairy farm, and he at the same time he also established the first medical school in Hong Kong that become part of Hong Kong University. So the first one. So according to his uh, uh, supervision ambitions about uh, of the university, they put. Uh, they always emphasize milk is a kind of perfect food, okay, with good nutrition. And that also start to have, like, uh, after uh, uh, after the development of dairy farm, they, we also at the same time have the start of the nutrition science educations in Hong Kong. And also the first survey about the health uh, of Hong Kong people in um During the 1960s, late 1960s. So you can see that the dairy farm establishment is go hand in hand with the establishment of the whole medical system in Hong Kong. And uh, because of the, um, the milk are used to be consumed and mostly consumed by the Western people because they are more affordable, and also the supply is not that huge in the beginning. So it is almost absolutely uh, exclusive for the foreigners. Uh, for the local people, on one hand, they don't have a, a habit okay, or culture in drinking milk every day. On the other hand, it is out of their reach uh, I call it economically. But at the same time, they can see that this is a kind of symbol of the ruling class and also a kind of... Good nutrition, because uh, the nutrition science is getting more and more popular. People hear okay from radio or other newspaper talk about the nutrition of so milk, and and also during the 1940s, uh, this is a time that uh, with a, a huge migrants come to Hong Kong. And uh, uh, I talking about soil milk. I have to talk about a brand called White Soil that is now globalized, and the founder is Doctor Low, and he is also a very interesting person. Um, that he in uh, he was born in Malaysia and he migrated to Hong Kong, and uh, he learned about the the nutrition's about soil milk. This uh, from in, in a talk in Shanghai, and. Um, Many people think about soil milk is a traditional Chinese food, but in fact, similar to cows, fresh cow's milk, it is not a traditional food in Western culture as well because fresh milk becomes only popular after refrigerator becomes popular but because it, is, we, it, it can turn back quickly. So uh, similar to soil milk, so Hong Kong, a Chinese people has a long history of eating soil being curd, tofu, but not drinking soil milk. So according to Chinese principles, soil milk is rather cool, cooling. It's not so much so good for the elderly, the, the, those who are with, with body. So what Dr. Lo put is trying to imitate soil milk is a kind of uh, um, a, a product, a Chinese cow's milk that is as nutrition. As the Western cow's milk. That's why he put the brand name as Whiter Soil. That means Whiterman, good vitamin plus soil, soil milk. And he promoted similar to our cow's milk. For example, the bottle is an imitation of the milk bottle when he sells it. And also, he also organized home delivery similar to the cow's milk. So, however, in the beginning, uh, the sale is not good because um, Chinese people still don't have a habit of drinking Western milk, so they don't have a habit of drinking soy milk as well. So after several phase of promotions, until I would say the 90s, almost to the 1970s, that so the whiter soy milk has become re- really popular. But during the whole, I would say that the whole 30 years, they are just so growing slowly. Uh, but this is the kickoff of industrialization. It's very much stimulated by Western science, not only nutrition science, but also bottling. The science of bottling um, the sawmill into a bottle. And he, Mr. Dutton Lo borrowed from the soft drink, the technology from soft drink. and um, re- And also... Uh, the salt milk compared with the cow's milk, people have a perception is that cow's milk is more superior because this is from the Western society. And it is also there are more those who understand Western science. OK, nutrition science have more findings. OK, they got more information about the milk rather, rather than salt milk. So they still have a hierarchy that cow's milk are better than soy milk. And soy milk, according to Chinese principle, as I mentioned, is too cooling for some sorts of people, but it seems that the Western cow's milk are more all rounded, okay, for the people. Um, And also in the, uh, I talk about in the book of Cha Chang Tang, because of the people now they accept cow's milk is is good. And uh, dairy farm is the first cow's milk uh, farm in Hong Kong and also in China. It become very famous. Uh, and also, it have a sort of symbolic meaning related to the ruling class. So in the cha the local tea cafe, they have very interesting hierarchy of milk inside the menu. Okay, the top one will be fresh cow's milk that was branded with dairy farm. Okay, second is other cow's milk, okay, fresh cow's milk from other brand, And then you have a kind of milk that can be produced from diluting from condensed milk, a kind of milk drink, so this is the lowest tier. So you can see that, okay, even within the, a kind of milk drink, so you can see the hierarchy that dairy farm, okay, symbolize, okay, a kind of ring class, Britishness, they occupy the top positions, okay, in this milk hierarchy compared to the rest. Um, and regarding okay, uh, other questions like uh, this, Hong Kong seal stock multi. Okay, another of my specialties. Yeah, I also study multi. Um, it is a kind of um, a kind of product. You can say that cat about the British milk tea, but this is different. Uh, British, um, as per my understanding, okay, British meal tea is usually produced from uh, usually the black tea. Okay, we boil the black tea, and then we add milk and fresh milk and sugar. So this is also the kind of uh, way to produce in the hotels. Okay, in the early, I think it's before the two uh, thousands. Uh, but in recently even hotel they have two versions the british milk tea and the hong kong style milk tea because <laughs> hong kong style milk is getting more and more popular even in hotel um, the hong kong style milk tea is a sort of bottom up i'll say that is uh, developed in Dai Pai Dong, that the street food that they use more than more than six type of tea mixed together okay ranging from very coarse one to the the uh, I guess the powder of the tea. <clears throat> the the uh, story goes like that is that um in the uh because the whole the the, the leaf the whole the uh, tea produced from the whole leaf is so expensive, so those who uh, want to be more economical, they touch the price. They use different kind of tea to mix together, make it as very strong, um, and they use a technique that they put it uh. They um, soak it and then they boil it and then they pull it several times, at least eight times, okay, in order to get the aroma out and make it very strong. And then they add the condensed milk, not the fresh milk, making a kind of very unique taste. And now you become Hong Kong local, culture, not local, I think Hong Kong level intangible cultural heritage as well because of the very special six-step technique in producing it. So um for this uh you you can see that okay uh the creation of the Hong Kong style uh steel stocking beauty is also a kind of reference to the British prestigious beauty. Um and, and in the and because in the beginning the British Western restaurant, restaurant don't allow the Chinese people to go inside to enjoy the food uh, I have read one of the annual reports in Dairy Farm they also operate restaurants they don't allow the Chinese people to go into their restaurant during the 1940s to 50s um, yeah so that's the reason that they have the local Chinese people operate the local cafe and also restaurants selling western style food and also they start selling British multi and later also the Hong Kong style milk tea as well. Okay, so you can so from this we can see um, the whole culture, the food culture reflects a kind of the green class and the ordinary people. And you can see this kind of habit, okay, is trickling down, but with localizations. Um, and this reflects Hong Kong people's social class and identity. And in recent years, Hong Kong now faced a lot of social change. uh, And young people have given new meaning to local culture, including beauty. So, that will be another book to talk about it.
1: Yeah, Um, and I think this is uh, you know you've touched on these these questions uh, that I think are really central to the book of food class identity um, hybridization and and it's sort of interesting how milk is functioning in some ways as a functional good and in other ways as a sort of prestige good and how the dynamics of that prestige and um, how the sort of polarity of identity is shifting back and forth between you know it here it represents high class British culture here it represents a sort of bottom. um, authentic uh, Hong Kong identity. Um, And and we come back to some of these same issues, um, less I think with identity um, and more with the sort of morality questions uh, in the last chapters of the book. But before we do that, um, we shift gears back to the Chinese mainland in Uh, Chapter three, global capital, local culture and food uncertainty. So this chapter has two parts. Um, In the first half, you're sort of following the struggles of uh, water buffalo milk producers uh, in Sunde uh, during uh, the modernization programs of the communist government. In the second half, you're looking at the effects of globalization on milk production and consumption. As I understand it, a key argument here is that we need to look for the causes of dietary change in China in, uh, as you put it, quote, the alliance between corporations and the Chinese national state, uh, rather than a sort of more general natural dietary transition, if you will, spurred on by economic growth or accompanying lifestyle change. Um, A key word you use here, and I'm going to I'm not going to get the pronunciation right. It's booping, I guess, um, sort of nourishing product. And, and maybe it makes sense to start our conversation about this chapter here, because um, this seems like a sort of anchoring word to think about uh, the sort of mechanisms and problems of China's sort of turn to milk.
0: Um, OK, so maybe i explain this word. Um, booping is uh, means to uh, a kind of nurturing product that can people you can consume occasionally. So this is a kind of concept from the um, traditional Chinese medicine that when you are weak, you become weak or sick, you can take in some food to boost your energy. Um, I think for, um, uh, for the questions of, uh, the dietary change in China, um yeah my uh you you can point you have pointed very clearly is that um exactly what i want to say is that uh usually when i read other articles and books on talking about the chinese people are drinking so much milk uh they usually point oh they are now driving Mercedes, they are having Gucci and Prada. Now they have economic growth, and that is natural for them because now they are wealthy, they can have the food that is or enjoy life that is good, and that is Western, that is high quality, uh, give them health, etc., etc. So it seemed to be, at, uh, and I, uh, we, we have also a term like nutrition transition, right? It seemed to be an evolution that those who have no milk now they are wealthy, so now they should have more milk. So I want to, yeah, exactly, I want to point out is that Chinese have a long culture of using milk, okay? So it is nothing new for them. But in the past, it's more like a kind of occasional medicine or like bourbon, that you drink it occasionally. So uh, Chinese people have other kind of food that can produce, provide good nutrition, calcium protein, we have a lot of sunshine, green leaves, etc. So we do not necessarily have to drink cow's milk. Okay. So that is the point. And however, what really drive the people demand in milk start only after 1997, okay? Uh, that Meng Liu and Yi Li, the top, the two largest milk producers, in China that they have established and they have increased in productions. So that is, I would say, I will come from a more political economy approach to analyze this is that the production uh, uh, drive consumptions. So for example, in Meng news cases, they do not really have a factory to produce milk before they launch a huge marketing campaigns, driving people to eat ice cream and also to drink milk and then once they have the name being known as they have uh they team up with the they outsource the productions to other factory and once they got more orders they line up with their partners to do that until to a certain stage that they got big enough to have their own factory okay so you can see that they do marketing and promotion to create demand before they really have the productions. So this the uh, and they, the key selling point is low price and good nutrition. So, uh, and the government uh, welcome this kind of um, economic activities because uh, it can bring economic benefits to the local people, employment, uh, boom up resources, foreign investment, as well as taxation to the government. And this is also the direction, this part of China's dream, I would say, that the that they put a lot of, uh, they changed the policy that make it like their launch of the product can be easier. They lower the standard about milk, et cetera, so that, and they allow them to outsource all the production to the farmers. They employ third party as checking points. And then, in fact, Mong and Yili mainly job, main job is do marketing. So they outsource all the productions to other suppliers. Um, so and also that is the reasons for the later problem about the food safety issues about the milk. So this is the uh, the so that is my main argument is that we need to pay attention to the collaborations between the government and also for the corporations. Um, and the aim is to increase the benefits and GDP. Yeah, it is not so much about the natural transitions of the people that they demand, okay, they want to have. Of course, at the, I, I'm not denying that the, the people also receive information, knowledge about Western science. But if there is not so much supply of milk that has a, such a low price, they, the demand will not be boom up so quickly.
1: Yeah. I, um, so what was interesting uh, to me here is, you know, thinking about that sort of, you know, uh, governmental um, promotion of milk is that, you know, it it does, as you say, uh, argue against this sort of standard uh, dietary transition rhetoric, which uh, we hear a, a lot. And it's something that gets um, uh, talked about a great deal is the sort of natural progression. Right. Um, and I, and I, I, found this very interesting that you're sort of picking apart, uh, that, you know, whenever we hear that word natural, we should always be suspicious. And I, I appreciated your suspicion there. Right. Um, so we, uh, chapters four and five, I think in, in my mind sort of form a separate part of the book. Um, it's not a clear delineation here, but this is where, um, you're looking at, excuse me, um, Bottle feeding as love, success, and citizenship. Chapter four and pharmaceutical nexus creating illness and giving hope. um, You're you're looking at the morality politics, I think, and the sort of business of of infant feeding. Right, so we're talking about the the problem of infant formula versus um, uh, versus breast milk, of bottle feeding versus breastfeeding in China and uh, Hong Kong, Um, and the popularity of formula um, is uh, in, in Hong Kong today is quite a far cry from the sort of moral prohibition against bottle feeding uh, a century ago. Um, And this uh, at first blush, at least to me, sort of ran counter to uh, the current trend toward breastfeeding um, in in the contemporary West. But what does this view of the present, my view of the present, miss or misconstrue about the environment in which families make these decisions? And what do these uh, choices say about the moral landscape of decisions about work, about nutrition, about child rearing, and about the moral and class politics of infant feeding? And then as you talk about in Chapter 5, also the way that Big Pharma has led this sort of medicalized discourse about breast milk versus formula um, which is the the core of that chapter. Um, and this sort of very interesting creation of this idea of quote, insufficient milk syndrome and also picky eating syndrome. Um, so I think it makes sense in, uh, for, from my end to think about the two chapters together. If you'd like to talk about them separately, that's fine too.
0: Okay. I think I would like to add a little bit about the role of the government. I think uh, government also uh, plays a very important role, okay? Uh, I think it's not only in Hong Kong, but globally in promoting milk. Think about the nutrition pyramid, right? That is a special category um, that is is that you have to drink a certain cup of milk every day. So I think I'm not the first person, right? I think Professor... Uh, Natalie also pointed out the the food politics. She pointed out the politics about the formulations of the food pyramid in USA. That is also a kind of collaborations between the government uh, and the dairy farm associations. So at the dairy association. Um, And similarly, okay, because of the very, um, we look upon the U.S nutrition pyramids as a kind of um, blueprint, okay, a kind of model for for other countries to follow. Similar to Hong Kong, okay, the, um, the nutrition scientists very much follow the nutrition pyramid. And uh, especially when I look, study those in China, and they also... Exactly the same, but they also put the soil milk okay as a substitute of the cow's milk. Uh, but still, cow's milk, as I mentioned, still have a uh, symbolically have a, um, a better, uh, uh, higher status than soil milk in Chinese society because of the reasons that I explained it. And so, if the government already sets this kind of rec- nutrition directions, so it's a kind of moral obligations, especially for the mother to follow in order to make sure that her family, including herself, her son or her husband, okay, or the daughters, um, can have good body, okay, in order to um so that to make sure that they have intake of sufficient nutrition through milk, and um, for. Okay, uh, talking about the decisions um, of drinking milk, okay, regarding to work, um, and also the the role of the big pharmaceutical company playing in marketing the milk to their family. Uh, okay, I will talk about the... Um, uh, some of the social contests in China and Hong Kong is that um, one of the very key thing about how the pharmaceutical company market these products in Chinese society is to emphasize on educations. So how, so one may wonder why drinking formal milk is related to educations? Um, I find there's a big difference of the way how the pharmaceutical company market former milk in Western society and in Chinese society. In Chinese society, no matter in Hong Kong or in China, they emphasize on one of the hero nutrition called DHA. So that is good for the brain development, eye development. Okay, so for the one of the top selling, okay, brand is called Mitch Johnson. So Mitch Johnson, Sell their product with the unique selling message in Hong Kong and Chinese is that they have the eight times more DHA than other brands. So why DHA is so important it is one of the omega three okay proteins that allowed the uh, it is proven okay that it is good for the brain. However, they they hide the fact that the breast milk in fact have more DHA than the formula milk. Okay, nobody mentioned it. Okay, not only in advertisement, but also in mass media. So, seldom people talk about breast milk have more DHA, but at the same time, in the advertisement, they emphasize that drinking formula milk can help the language ability, okay, the creativity, the emotions, and also the motion of the baby. So, they have certain indirect, they have some support about it, but I think the association is very indirect. So however, in the whole advertisement, it gives the mother's image is that, okay, you drink this kind of almond milk, you can have developed a all-round baby that can be successful in interview. So in some sorts of, in some uh, few advertisements, you can see that there are, the the storyline goes that the baby is drinking the milk and then they go to the interviews in a prestigious kindergarten and then they have to raise their hands and they answer all the questions correctly after drinking the milk so i sort of um i think it's is exaggerated okay the benefits but that is the problem of the of the loophole of the advertising regulations that allow the former milk company to create this kind of hope or dream or illusions to the, to the mothers who are experiencing so much stress in Chinese society, because how the, the kids perform directly affect the face, not only the mother, but the family. So this is also what I put uh, in my book to talk about the stress, the mother face, okay. And also the mother usually have, uh, also have her own career in Hong Kong. The employment rates of the woman in Hong Kong is very high. And so many, many of the women play a double role as both a mother and a worker. And in regarding the work ethic in Hong Kong and also in China, is that um, the, whole, whole, I would say the whole culture glorify the mother can return to work after giving birth to the baby within a few weeks. So for example, we see celebrities, okay, she uh, promote herself in the social media that uh, there's a special recipe that you eat and then you can give birth and you keep slim within a few days. So uh, there is some of the formula milk they try to sell to the mother that, okay, you drink this cup formula instead of uh, eating other kind of traditional Chinese food so you can slim your bodies once you give birth. So this is uh, another way to sell milk, okay, to the to the mother to be. And so the mother, okay, in order to have this kind of work, I'll say that it's under a highly categorized city that wanted the labor to be returned to work as quick as possible. Okay, so this whole working ethnos, okay, uh, can push the mothers to drink former milk as a way to slim up the body, and also at the same time can give enough nutrition to the babies. And after she gives birth, okay, it's good to give former milk to the babies in order to have he or she to go to prestigious kindergarten. So this is the whole idea of why former milk are getting so popular. And at the same time, they are selling, giving up, uh, giving up messages that the mother needs to be very careful about her diet if you want to breastfeed. For example, uh, I find this particular um, disturbing in the handbook of the Nutrition Guidelines in China. So there's not much. In Hong Kong, uh, the government and also the uh, many of the hospitals emphasize on breastfeeding. However, in China, I see the guidebook um, is that although there are a lot of breastfeeding-friendly hospitals in China, however, put into practice, when you read the guidebook about the uh, the the uh, nutrition association supported by the government, you find that there's a number of points that the woman need to pay special care. For example, if she doesn't have enough sunshine, if she doesn't intake enough vitamin K, etc., so the baby probably won't have enough nutrition through breastfeeding. And also they changed the idea of weaning uh, is that after six months, the mother should not breastfeed Instead, you need to feed the baby with formula milk. That is quite different from what UdaCell is selling, that they the baby should have the right to have the breast milk, okay, as long as he or she like, okay, uh, beyond two years. So this is sort of um, very big difference. Uh, in the case of Hong Kong, this is uh, although the government do promote breastfeeding, uh, this is more like the work ethno I mentioned that the mothers don't have sufficient support because we only have four weeks holiday uh, sorry six weeks holiday after she give birth to the babies. So there's not sufficient time for the mother to breastfeed okay so, so usually mother give up breastfeeding after six months. Uh, sorry six weeks sorry six weeks. okay so that is the problem about um, the mother's breastfeeding so and also they do receive so much rest to produce milk that they create a kind of insufficient milk syndrome that's quite popular among my informants. Um, There are a lot of special recipes telling the mother what kind of food she can eat in order to increase the milk. But many of these kind of recipes are very fatty. I would say the women are so scared. Oh, I need to have this kind of a sandwich before I go to bed in order to have sufficient milk so I will get fat very easily. So the mothers are very worried about the body shape. And they become so stressful under this kind of working at nose. So they give up breastfeeding easily because they can easily say that, okay, I don't have enough milk. Okay? Um, as, as, um, I think the problem is not about the mothers being selfish, it's more about the whole social structure. I would say that the support of the organization and sometimes of the family. I have many informants told me that the husband feels suspicious that whether his wife has sufficient meal to feed the baby. And I still can remember that uh, I breastfeed my babies. Uh, and there's so rare people willing to breastfeed in public that after 10 years I breastfeed, I, uh, the cafe manager can still remember I breastfeed in that cafe. So, um, so this is a whole culture and a kind of environment that not so much welcome the woman to breastfeed, especially in public. Um, talking about the picky eating syndrome, so this is another kind of, I would say, that the pharmaceutical company uh, construct diseases. Although this is um, included in the psychological DSM handbook, These are kind of picky eating syndromes. However, um, this is the syndrome that very much picked up by the pharmaceutical company to emphasize it uh, and also exaggerated in the advertisement saying that, okay, if your children don't have sufficient nutrition because they are picky, they probably cannot perform well in school. So in the advertisement, similarly, okay, you can see that there's a blackboard, there's examinations, there's a womb, uh, the children are getting very bored about the, uh, uh, about the schools and they are sleepy and they are not paying attention because they're being picky eater. So, however, one need to note that because in Hong Kong and China, people are getting wealthy and the children are snacking all the time. So many children are being picky because they eat too much. So we, it, traditionally speaking, the Chinese people, uh, according to Chinese traditional medical principle, in case of children being too much uh, picky eater, they will advise, the doctor will, the medical doctor will advise the kids to eat less, okay? However, on the contrary, okay, in the advertisement of pharmaceutical companies, they promote they, to drink more picky eating, build that super nutrition. So there is a vigorous cycle is that the people, if the kids, okay, they already snack throughout the day and they drink the super nutrition and also carbohydrates and protein-rich uh, formal milk, they will get even more full before their proper meal time. So they will become even more picky. So that's why Consumer Council in Hong Kong has already advised mothers or the parents or the caretaker not to give the kids picky eating formula in such a case because this is not there. this is not necessary and may make them the syndrome even worse so however uh, i want to point out is that this kind of illness are sort of indirectly created in order to sell more product so that's the point
1: yeah, and and it's again, it sort of uh, gets to the uh, analysis that you're doing over all of these sort of you know milk as a socially embedded product and a set of sort of uh, practices um, and looking at the different uh, actors, whether it's states, corporations, individuals, uh, and how that plays out in terms of um, questions about identity and, and and class, which I think run through the entire book. Um, we're, we're getting, to, so we've reached the end of the book, and, but you did mention earlier that there was, you know, maybe another book project out there uh, when, when we were talking about one of the earlier chapters. And it makes me wonder uh, what you're working on now, now that the book is out.
0: Um, okay. Uh, as an extension of the book, uh, I didn't have room in my book to talk about the farm review for the elderly. So I have written papers, general papers, already published about elderly, okay, and how the former company, because not to mention, uh, I just, I mentioned, right, that Chinese people only drink milk within these 30 years. So for the elderly, throughout their life, they never get in touch with the milk until they retired. So at, year, uh, at the age of 70s or above. So I'm interested, why? how come the former company can promote, in what way they can promote the milk to the elderly who, who should have a very constant diet, right? So how can they make them change the diet to drink milk every day by promoting elderly milk? So I have written papers about uh, marketing on uh, on elderly milk, um, about selling uh, another chapter. It's going to be published in another book about um, uh, uh, how that okay? They sell um, through the nutrition science, okay, uh, about the marketing, um, and also I have uh, an extension about multi, because multi now have in recent year that has been being picked up to be the name of a multi alliance. So there's a kind of uh, pan-Asian young peoples a kind of protest. So I uh, already published papers about why they pick up the name Mew Tea for the young, why the, the people in Asia, okay, although uh, they have uh, all, all in this Thailand, Vietnam, uh, Burma, uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, all have muti, but very different Mew Tea. So how the whole story so is regarding popular culture, uh, social media, online digital protests, etc. So this is an extension, okay, about milk tea. Um, and also, uh, for another, I'm going to study another food products. So this is outside milk. So that will be mushroom. So that is a, my a, upcoming project about mushroom.
1: Oh, really? Why mushrooms? And and what specifically are you interested in?
0: Um, okay, so because I'm uh, not only about food, I also study heritage, right? So, yeah. Um, First of all, milk, okay, in Daliang is a kind of indigenous heritage cheese. I'm um, I, I, uh, I interested in mushroom because uh, I think uh, mushroom is the future food. Not only as a kind of food, but it can also solve the global problem about pollution. And uh, because it can uh, purify water and also soil um, and air. And, but at the same time, uh, it doesn't have any carbon footprint uh, in the process of productions in the agriculture. And also, uh, I studied the field site will be in, in um, Jiejiang, uh, Qingyuan. So this is the place that Buddha, in China, uh, this is the place, this is the first, um, first time the human cultivated the mushroom. So it is in china people used to think that it is in japan so that's why uh mushroom the chinese uh, the, the, is called shiitake right shiitake so it's a japanese word however we have proved uh in recent years starting in 1987 we are professor Zhang. uh he comes from the same university uh with me, my uh, diversity I study. So he has already proven that it is from China. In fact, it's from China. So I go to the place that the first, long uh, in the human history, that the first time human able to cultivate the mushroom. But it is not, not totally human artificial cultivate, uh, cultivated. It is in the forest. So they cut the, the bark of the trees and then just let the mushroom to grow okay so it is a kind of semi-artificial um so this kind of technique is already become the heritage and the whole uh the forest and the mushroom uh, ecological system cultivation system was also listed by fao and unesco as the globally important agricultural uh, agricultural cultural system so i will go i plan to go there this summer but because of COVID. Uh, it's very difficult to get a ticket, so I may go there in the next summer. So I'm starting working on this now.
1: No, that sounds uh, fascinating, and uh, I will be looking forward to uh, reading about mushrooms as as well as milk uh, when your papers on that come out. Um, and thank you for uh, taking some time to talk with us today uh, about your book, about milk craze. Uh, it was a pleasure.
0: Okay, thank you very much, Nathan.
1: Yep, thank you.